to the Just Me and My Cats podcast. Except, it's not just me and my cats today. We have a very special guest, my boyfriend, Brennan. Happy to be involved, everyone. Brennan and I are both interested in history, but he has a background in it, as he studied political science in college and has been very interested in it for most of his life. We discovered this podcast topic together while researching possible ideas and thought it would be quite interesting to discuss. Before we get into the episode, it is, of course, time for Cool Cat Fact number five. You may recognize the name Isaac Newton, the man who most famously calculated gravity. However, it's also believed he invented the cat door. While he was working on his experiments at the University of Cambridge, he was constantly interrupted by cats scratching at his door. So he had the Cambridge carpenter come by and saw two holes in the door, one for the mother cat and one for her adorable kittens. Apparently, these holes can still be found at the university today. Now, let's discuss what y'all came here for, the George Jackson Brigade. In 1974, just a few years after his release from prison for a pharmacy burglary, a man named Ed Mead traveled to San Francisco, hoping to make a connection with the Symbionese Liberation Army. However, once he arrived, he joined another group called the New World Liberation Front, or NWLF, where he learned to make pipe bombs. How does one just enter an organization like that so easily and learn how to make a pipe bomb? Is it like a child going to summer camp and making macaroni art, but like pipe bombs instead? There were dozens of groups like this at the time, far-left organizations seeking to resist capitalism or another part of American culture, some of the highest profile being the Black Panther Party or the Symbionese uh, Liberation Army that Meade had wanted to join. Often these groups would be as easy to join as it seemed to be for Meade if you showed enough enthusiasm, especially if the group hadn't yet caught the attention of the FBI. Once Meade went back home to Seattle, he met up with his friend, Bruce Seidel, and they decided it was time to start fighting for their political beliefs. George Jackson, a prominent figure in the Black Panther movement, was their inspiration. They wanted to act on his promise. So they named their movement the George Jackson Brigade. The brigade started out focused on prison reform, as most of its founding members had recently been in and were radicalized in prison. That's where their name came from, as George Jackson had died attempting to escape from San Quentin prison. As they started to grow to their peak membership, they expanded further into more general anarchist and anti-capitalist goals. They involved themselves in increasingly violent acts and advocated in their post-attack statements for the overthrow of the U.S. government, uh, the government of the state of Washington, to draw attention to the conditions for prisoners at Walla Walla State Penitentiary and the federal prison on McNeil Island. Their main goal was to replace what they viewed as a society too focused on wealth and control, with one focused on more collectivist and humanitarian ideals. Like us, you probably have never even heard of the George Jackson Brigade until today. And there's a reason why this may be. According to Daniel Burton Rose, author of the book Guerrilla USA, the George Jackson Brigade, and the anti-capitalist underground of the 1970s, the FBI ordered a news blackout on the brigade 
as they realized that media attention is exactly what the group wanted. After each of the attacks they carried out, whether successful or unsuccessful, they always released a statement explaining why each place had been attacked. They also used these statements to communicate with authorities. During the attacks, the brigade did their best to avoid killing or injuring civilians at all costs. In various statements, they claimed credit for bank robberies, bombings, attacks against custom houses, courthouses, Safeway stores, public utilities, and correctional facilities. The brigade consisted of uh, less than a dozen men and women, never topping seven. Here are some of the most notable. Ed Mead, one of the founders of the brigade, uh, was from California and spent a lot of time in prison during the 60s for armed robbery and other crimes. He was arrested on January 23, 1976, after a failed bank robbery in Tupelo, Washington. He was released from prison in 1993. Next up is John Sherman from New Jersey. He was a dockyard worker, gambler, and petty thief who ended up in prison in 1968 after using a bad check to purchase a car only 27 at the time. He met Ed Mead while they were imprisoned at McNeil Island Penitentiary in the late 1960s. He was injured in the Tukwila Bank robbery, then later freed from custody by Mark Cook, who we'll discuss in just a minute. Sherman remained free for two years before his recapture. He later escaped from a federal prison, again in California, and was released in 1998. Other founder, Bruce Seidel, a good friend of Meade, was a graduate student in economics from the University of Illinois. He also went to the University of Washington and edited a newspaper there. He ended up dying in the failed Tequila bank robbery in January of 76. Mark Cook was the only African-American member of the brigade. He took part in the Tequila robbery avoiding arrest, but was later arrested a few days after freeing Sherman from Harborview Medical Center, wounding a King County deputy, Virgil Johnson, during the encounter. He spent the next 24 years in prison until his release in 2000. He organized the annual Convention Conference of Prison Activists. Rita Brown was a working-class lesbian ex-convict from Southern Oregon who was active in the Seattle prison support community. First sent to prison for possessing stolen mail, was later imprisoned for her activities with the brigade. She became known as the gentleman brink robber in the 70s for combining her butch style of dress with a polite way of demanding funds from tellers. Next is Therese Coupez, who was Rita Brown's girlfriend from the local area and also imprisoned for participating in brigade activities. We had trouble finding a pronunciation for her last name, so it's either Coupez or Coupe. For this episode, we will be saying Coupez, just to keep things simpler. And Janine Bertram, before joining was considered a more typical social activist and in the early 70s she founded the Association of Seattle Prostitutes to as she put it promote the rights of a group whose members often tangled with the law and did not often win 
The Just Me and My Cats podcast has a brand new sponsor, Potners. Potners is the go-to online store for all your cat-related needs. They sell adorable bandanas, cute accessories, and toys designed to truly engage your feline friend. My favorite thing about Potners is that they donate 10% of every sale to charity, helping thousands of sick and homeless cats around the world. After Potners reached out to me, I ordered the green simulation toy, yellow tail toy, and the laser pointer for my cats, Opal and Jasper. I will be sure to post pictures of them playing with their new toys on both Instagram and Facebook. If you would like to order a new bandana, new accessory, or toy for your cat, click on the referral link in the description and enter the code JMMCPOD at checkout for 50% off your order. That is JMMCPOD for 50% off your order. Thank you, partners, for sponsoring the podcast. Now, let's get into the juicy part, the attacks and the robberies. The first attack was on May 31st, 1975, at the Washington State Corrections Office in Olympia, Washington. There were no injuries and only minimal damage. This was likely chosen as an early target for their prison abolition stance. Their next attack was June 11, 1975 at the University of Washington. We really couldn't find anything other than the fact that this attack happened, and as you'll see throughout the episode, a handful will be like this, unfortunately, as that FBI put the block on things being published about these attacks. So there's not a whole lot out there about information in terms of why some of these attacks happened. Their next attack was September 5th of 1975, um, the FBI offices in Tacoma, Washington. There's um, uh, likely because of the news block, uh, nothing we could find about this, but uh, they may have chosen this as um, part of a response to COINTELPRO. For those at home that may not be familiar, COINTELPRO was a series of operations taken by the FBI to destabilize groups the federal government deemed subversive, such as communists, union organizers, and civil rights organizers such as MLK Jr., his allies, and inspirational figures to the George Jackson Brigade, such as uh, Fred Hampton. The last um, was assassinated as part of a um, COINTEL operation. The next day, they hit the Bureau of Indian Affairs office in Everett, Washington. This may have been Brown or Sherman's idea, as both were supporters of indigenous rights. After Sherman's time in prison, he found a new passion indigenous teachings. He may have been uh, beforehand, we're not sure, but uh, Brown was exposed to the wrongs the indigenous community faced uh, in her time in prison before meeting up with the brigade. The next attack took place on September 13, 1975 at the Federal Office Building in Seattle, Washington. Again, we are not sure why this attack took place. On September 15, 1975, the first set of Safeway stores 
was attacked in Seattle, Washington. This attack caused member Ralph Ford's death when a bomb he was planting malfunctioned. Safeways were most likely attacked because they believed, uh, the brigade believed that workers were mistreated and that it was one of the largest grocery store chains in the country at the time. So a statement would be made by attacking it. A more modern equivalent uh, to these Safeway attacks might be attacking an Amazon warehouse because of the poor working conditions there. And three days later, they hit another Safeway store in Seattle, Washington. Nine people were wounded during this attack. On December 31st, 1975, a Safeway office building was attacked in Bellevue, Washington, and Seattle's City Light Laurelhurst substation in Seattle, Washington was also attacked. The Seattle City Light was attacked because the electricians had been on strike since October of that year. The brigade used a pipe bomb filled with 12 pounds of gunpowder, and the substation was destroyed as um, a result of this, and a nearby house was badly damaged from the burning oil that was leaking from the transformers running down the hill. The power went out for almost 2,000 residents in the neighborhood, and it took several days for City Light to repair the damage, partially because the specialists were still on strike. In the end, damages estimated at about $275,000. Next was a robbery uh, in January 23rd of 1976 uh, at Pacific National Bank in Tukwila, Washington. This was the beginning of the end for the group. Uh, two police officers and one member of the brigade, Bruce Seidel, were killed along with um, Meade and Sherman being arrested, uh, and Sherman also being wounded. Then on March 10th of that year, uh, Mark Cook was able to rescue John Sherman from police custody um, in between transfer from a medical facility to a prison. Uh, however, he shot a police officer in the stomach during the process. Sherman and Cook both escaped, but Cook was captured a few days later and spent the next 25 years in prison. The remaining members retreated to Portland, recruiting Bertram to regroup. Brown and Bertram met at a Coyote event, an organization trying to better the conditions for prostitute workers. It stood for Call Off Your Old Tired Ethics. This organization still around, by the way. This robbery had a particularly interesting statement from the group, in my opinion. They focused the statement at least as much as how it could have gone better as what they usually focus on, why they chose their target. They ended their statement on the bank with, overall, this action failed because we were not prepared to meet police terrorism with a sufficient level of revolutionary violence. And in other statements, they've referred to both themselves and the police as terrorists, which is an interesting, not quite contrast. The group was pretty quiet in terms of attacks for about a year, as they were down to just four group members, Sherman, Brown, Bertram, and Coupez, and low on funds. The group resumed political activity in the fall of 1977. Three bank robberies took place. 
On June 8, 1976, Western Bank was robbed in Coos Bay, Oregon. On July 13, 1976, Carter National Bank in Ashland, Oregon was robbed. And on August 1, 1976, the Oregon Bank in Medford, Oregon was robbed. They then would hit three more banks. October 28th of 76, uh, the first state bank of Oregon in Portland. And uh, January 4th of the following year, uh, they hit uh, U.S. National uh, Bank of Oregon um, again in Portland. And the following month, uh, on the 7th, they uh, hit the National Bank of Oregon in Wilsonville. So on May 12th, 1977, there was an attempted attack um, at the Rainier National Bank in Redmond, Washington, and the Rainier National Bank in Bellevue, Washington. There, this was their first emergence in terms of attacks in over a year. At one of the locations, the bomb failed to detonate, and thankfully there were no injuries at either location. After the attack, the group shared what they called their May Day communique with the community radio station CRAB, or K-R-A-B. This statement was read on air. Today, the George Jackson Brigade bombed two Bellevue branches of the Rainier National Bank in support of the prisoner struggle at Walla Walla State Prison. We chose Rainier National Bank because of its links to the Seattle Times, a bourgeoisie daily newspaper. The Seattle Times has led the propaganda campaign in Seattle against the prisoners. Later that month, uh, they would rob Washington State Liquor Store in Bellevue, Washington on the 21st. Uh, they would uh, rob Rainier National Bank uh, in uh, Bellevue, um, in the same that the bomb failed to detonate in on June 20th. They would then, on July 3rd, uh, attempts another substation attack uh, on the Puget Power substation in Olympia, Washington. Uh, this attack ended up failing. Another robbery took place at the Old National Bank in Kirkland, Washington on September 8th, 1977. On September 19th, 1977, the People's National Bank the Skyway branch in Seattle, Washington, was also robbed. On October 6, 1977, the group attacked the Westland Buick in Seattle, Washington. It was an attempted attack. Then they hit uh, three more uh, car dealerships over the fall. October 13th, they hit the SL Savage Dodge dealership in Seattle. October 16th, they hit the BBC Dodge dealership in Burien, Washington. And in November 1st, they hit the Phil Smart Mercedes dealership in Bellevue, Washington. On November 2nd, 1977, the company Diebold Incorporated was attacked. This is a company that specializes in the sale, manufacture, and installation of self-service transaction systems, like ATMs. A lot of the group's messaging is about the immorality of banks. So perhaps something um, safer that they could target uh, was this organization. In November of 1977, 
Rita Brown was arrested. No one remaining tried to break Brown out of custody. The Oregonian reported, quote, Miss Brown, clad in brown corduroy jeans and a brown striped sweater, waived reading of federal grand jury indictments returned earlier this year in Portland, accusing her of five counts of bank robbery and two felonious possession of a firearm. She would end up pleading guilty after accepting a deal offered by the prosecution. The remaining uh, three members attacked the power substation in Renton, Washington on December 23rd of 1977. On March 21st, 1978, a former guard from McNeil Island Penitentiary was stopping for a bite at the Jubilee Hamburger when he suddenly heard the familiar voice of John Sherman. Agents were waiting to make an arrest when Sherman, Coupez, and Bertram returned to the restaurant before executing another robbery. Can y'all imagine getting arrested at a hamburger joint? That, that just cracked me up when I first read that. According to a report published in 2011 by the National Consortium for the Study of Terrorism and Responses to Terrorism for the United States Department of Homeland Security Science and Technology Directorate, the George Jackson Brigade was ranked 15th among terrorist groups that perpetrated the most terrorist attacks in the United States between 1970 and 2011. What a tongue twister that was. Good job. <laughs> all right. Where are they now? So all the members of the brigade have been released from prison. In April of 1998, after he was released from a halfway house, John Sherman began working for the Gangaji Foundation in Boulder, which was an organization dedicated to bringing indigenous teachings to the West. That October, he purchased a 1988 Saab and followed the foundation to its new office in Marin County. That June, he married another member from the foundation and said that he had found, in his words, complete joy. After that, I had a lot of trouble finding more recent information about Sherman, so I decided to look up on Google uh, John Sherman Gangaji Foundation, and a website called Just One Look popped up. It turns out that around 2002, John and his wife, Carla, took over the foundation and devoted their time to it. Sadly, in May 2019, John was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. His wife wrote a really thoughtful blog post about their journey as a couple together and her admiration of John, which I highly recommend checking out. I've linked it in the description. John passed away on September 29, 2021, due to Alzheimer's complications. A memorial was held for him in Ojai, California on November 20th, 2021. Ed Mead. In June 1999, it was reported by the Seattle Times that Mead was now a computer specialist for a Californian Physicians Association. In 2015, Mead published an autobiography titled uh, Lumpen, the autobiography of Ed Mead. His book can be purchased at leftwingbooks.net, linked in the description, and is a resource on more information about his autobiography. Rita Brown. In June 1999, it was reported by the Seattle Times that Brown worked for the California Highway Department 
and was still very active in radical politics. In 2017, a documentary about Brown was released on julieperini.com, and it's just over, uh, it's over 46 minutes and completely free to watch. It discusses her everyday life in Oakland, California, and is told by herself and other collaborators, including Ed Mead. Sadly, Brown passed away at age 74 due to dementia complications on October 24th, 2021. Janine Bertram, in the same 1999 report from the Seattle Times, Bertram married a former staff member of the Reagan administration. In 2018, Bertram, as well as Cook and Mead, had a discussion and the video was posted on the channel Revolutionary Audiobooks. The video will be linked in the description. Therese Coupez. In the same June 1999 Seattle Times report, um, it shows or it reports uh, that Coupez is a successful acupuncturist in California. We weren't able to find much else about her, but we wish her well in whatever she's pursuing. Mark Cook. In 2000, Cook was released from prison after serving time for 24 years. In May 2005, he participated in an interview to discuss his time in the organization, as well as his time in prison. During his time in prison, he made many efforts to improve conditions for his fellow prisoners. On February 18, 2016, Cook gave a presentation at Burning Bookstore in Buffalo, New York. He described his time as a prisoner, his dedication to improving the life of and conditions for prisoners, as well as his devotion to black liberation. As of 2020, when the video was posted, he still remains active as a speaker and organizer. And that wraps it up for the episode. Thank you so much for listening and thank you, Brennan, for being a special guest, as well as helping with research and providing your expertise. We hope that you learned something today. See you next week where we will be talking about one of the world's most infamous serial killers, Jack the Ripper.